The Holistic Counseling Podcast is part of the practice of the Practice Network, a network of podcasts seeking to help you market and grow your business and yourself. To hear other podcasts like Behind the Bite, Full of Shift, and Impact Driven Leader, go to www.practiceofthepractice.com forward slash network. Welcome to the Holistic Counseling Podcast, where you discover diverse wellness modalities, advice on growing your integrative practice, and grow confidence in being your unique self. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I'm so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I am really excited for today's guest, Leonard Perlmutter. He has incredible depth of wisdom to bring to you about meditation and your conscience. He is founder and director of American Meditation Institute in Averill Park, New York, is the originator of National Conscience Month. He studied in India under Swami Rama of the Himalayas, whose lab studies at the Menninger Institute demonstrated that blood pressure, heart rate, and the autonomic nervous system can be voluntarily controlled, which sounds so cool. He is the author and editor of Transformation, the Journal of Yoga Science as Holistic Mind-Body Medicine, and his Heart and Science of Yoga course curriculum. He is author of the book, Your Conscience, The Key to Unlock Limitless Wisdom and Creativity and Solve All of Life's Challenges. Welcome to the podcast, Leonard. Thank you very much. It's really appreciate. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so glad that you could be here. And as we talked before, um, we hit record. I'm so excited that you're here because this is the Holistic Counseling Podcast. And it sounds like what you do at the Institute is a lot of holistic strategies and a lot of teaching. Well, that's 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 what we do. Uh, we're holistic organisms, uh, and we're we're pretty darn uh, sophisticated uh, holistic organisms, and uh, we really uh, have not been taught that much about what possibilities exist for us to be able to enhance the health and well-being of these mind-body sense complexes. Yeah, exactly. And we can't just um, focus just on, in our thoughts as holistic counselors, we can't just focus on the mind. We have to look at the whole person. Sure. Yeah, I I often uh, uh, am inspired by William Osler's quote from over 100 years ago. Osler was one of the founding uh, board members of Johns Hopkins. He was the individual who brought medical students uh, out of the classroom and into uh, clinical settings. And Osler said, don't ask what kind of disease the patient has, ask what kind of patient has the disease. So that echoes what uh, we know in, in yoga science, that all the body is in the mind. The body is a projection of the mind. So if the mind is in conflict, so too will the consciousness of the body be in conflict. And that's right. what brings about so much pain. Yeah, that's that's food for thought to really think about that and a different way of, of perceiving the mind and the body. Right. So what is AMI meditation? Because as I looked on your website, I saw that you you teach a lot of this meditation in classes and courses. Can you share more with my listeners of what, what that is? It is a mantra-based 
meditation. And everything that we do teach at AMI, the American Meditation Institute, everything that we teach uh, comes from a ancient lineage called Bharati, which is known as the lovers of knowledge, the lovers of wisdom. It's the oldest continuous meditation and spiritual lineage uh, in the world. It is the origin of every single religion. Every sp single spiritual tradition has come from this knowledge that we today are shepherding and reinterpreting for these modern times. So it's a, it's a classical mantra meditation that is taught, and it uh, is critically important in being physically fit, being mentally well. Uh, the practice of meditation itself is a dire necessity. It teaches us how to cultivate one-pointed attention. Of course, we know, although we don't always say, that multitasking is impossible. We sort of laugh it off. You know, the culture, my boss wants me to be able to multitask. So in order to provide the delusion that we're multitasking, what has to happen? Well, hormones have to surge. Adrenaline is constantly flowing through our entire physiology so that the mind can go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth very quickly between two objects. Now, that provides the delusion that we're multitasking, but in effect, we're not. We're really only looking at one thing at a time. Anything else is impossible. And I, I've and, never heard that, the delusion of multitasking. Yes. And so uh, what, what, what exactly uh, happens when, when all of this hormonal soup is poisoning our entire physiology? Well, the first thing that happens is even though we appear to be multitasking, actually what's happening is that my immune system is being depressed. Not only my immune system, but also my mind is being depressed. So I'm really living in a, in a, in a dark cloud most, of, most every day. And so, uh, and my mind is being uh, depressed as well as my immune system. So what meditation does, it teaches us how to know the benefits of a one-pointed mind. A one-pointed mind helps us to become detached. And what that means is that by meditating all the time, regularly, every day, that we learn how to create a space between stimulus and response. And in that space between stimulus and response, we find the freedom of action so that we can redirect our attention toward the conscience to determine what is the thought to think, the word to speak, and the action to take now in this moment that will enable me to fulfill the purpose of life without pain. So meditation teaches me one-pointed attention, which in turn 
creates a space for me, a detachment from stimulus, so I can make an enlightened choice based on this superconscious wisdom reflected by the conscience. And the more that I do these types of experiments and follow the wisdom of the conscience, I'm continuously building the muscles of willpower to do what's to be done when it's to be done and not do what's not to be done when it's not to be done. So even though we receive this training in meditation, gosh, we can take all those tools into the rough and tumble of every day. Every relationship, we can use those tools of one-pointed attention, detachment, superconscious wisdom, and willpower to do what's to be done and not do what's not to be done. In my experience, that has, that has motivated me to change my diet, to make the body a lot more healthy and a lot more flexible to help the mind become more creative and more flexible, and to provide me more energy for all the duties and responsibilities that face me as a human being in America in the 21st century. That is an amazing amount of benefits, and I can see how so much of meditation can impact all the choices we make every day in our lives. Yes, it has that capacity to affect every choice. And so every choice is really an experiment in in the truth reflected by the conscience, if we so choose to do the experiment. If we choose, if we make that decision to do that. It's all about desire, isn't it, Chris? It's all yes, about it desire. Is. If we don't have the desire, we're not going to do it. It doesn't matter what it is. Desire itself is neither good nor bad. It's simply what? It's the fuel for action. No desire, no action. With the desire, yes, something can be accomplished. So why is it hard for people to follow their conscience? And is there any way to make it any easier? That answer (laughs) lies in an understanding of the functions of the mind. So there are four functions of the mind. Three of them uh, are rather contentious. And those three are the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind. The fourth function is the conscience. So let me take them one by one and explain what they are and what they do. Because the mind moves first, and then the body follows with an action. And of course, following the action is always what? A consequence that can bring us the health, the happiness, the loving, nurturing, creative relationships and security that we deeply desire, or we'll delay the process, and instead we will be in pain. So the ego itself, the ego, is actually hardwired to the reptilian brain, and the reptilian brain is totally invested in self-preservation, as is the ego. And what does that mean? It means that both the ego 
and the reptilian brain are terribly fearful of annihilation. Terribly fearful of death being the end of everything, which of course it is not. From a yoga science perspective, death is merely change and growth. But because the ego has such a limited perspective, its recommendations concerning what's to be done and what's not to be done are often wrong. Even though the ego, as we pretty well know, uh, is often wrong, but never in doubt. And the ego, because it is hardwired to the reptilian brain, and both of them are invested in self-preservation of the form, this mind-body-sense complex, it's, it becomes problematic. So the ego always defines every relationship for us as either pleasant or unpleasant. The ego only wants to serve the pleasant, and it defines the pleasant as being good. Whereas things that appear to the ego's limited perspective are unpleasant, the ego defines those things as bad. And so the ego only supports that which is pleasant and opposes everything that is unpleasant. But isn't it our experience that that which appears as pleasant isn't always good for us? This and is that true. which appears <laughs> as unpleasant isn't always bad for us? Life so is not I, that simplistic, right? That's right. And so if I just accept the ego's recommendation for so many things without examining it and experimenting with it, then I am the one who is going to be in pain. Mm -hmm. And so that's the ego. Limited perspective, but I have to be honest and mention that we all need an ego. We all need a healthy ego. Mm -hmm. And right now, I need a healthy ego to be able to have this conversation with you, Chris as do you, to have the conversation with me. We need a healthy ego to drive the automobile or the truck. So ego is not always wrong, but it has faulty concepts because there's so, there is so, the ego has such a limited perspective. That's the ego. It's so tied the, to our survival. That's right. And the ego can only advise, cannot make a decision. The ego can only advise. Then, then there's the senses. Senses, similarly, can only advise, cannot make a decision as regards to what's to be done and what's not to be done. So the senses, you know, sight, smell, taste, hearing, touch, those Take our creative energy, the mind itself projects our creative energy through our eyes and our nostrils and our mouth, our ears, our hands and our feet to look and smell and taste and listen and touch and bring back information into our consciousness, into our awareness in search of what? 
objects and relationships that are going to bring me happiness and security and health. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem. The senses, like the ego, are only interested in that which is pleasant, not unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And so the senses, too, only have a limited perspective. Again, often wrong, but never in doubt. And the senses waste a tremendous, tremendous amount of our creative energy chasing rainbows that never appear. And even if there is a passing pleasure that is experienced, it's not the lasting joy that we are looking for. It's temporary. It's all temporary. It's very ephemeral. It never lasts. It's a little bit like the Doppler effect. You know, the train is coming, coming, coming. We hear it, hear it, coming, coming, coming. And then all of a sudden it's going, going, going. It's never here now. Mm -hmm. And so it's the use of the senses, which I believe have become addicted to spending our creative energy. So much of our creative energy goes out through our eyes and our nostrils and our mouth, our ears, our hands, and our feet. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit analogous to squeezing a tube of toothpaste. Mm -hmm. So if I squeeze a tube of toothpaste, oh, the toothpaste will easily come out, but impossible to put back into the tube. Right. Same with our creative energy. Once the mind projects through these addictive senses, our creative energy, we can't get it back. And yet we still have all these duties and responsibilities that are calling for more creative energy to be able to solve the issues that are, that are unresolved. So that's the senses. Now, the unconscious mind is the repository of all of our merits and demerits. It is everything that you and I deem essential to self-preservation. All of those memories, good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant, all of our imaginations for the future, all are stored in the unconscious mind because somewhere we believe they're essential to self-preservation. And so the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind all have limited perspectives. Some of those perspectives are valid with the senses. I mean, life is to be enjoyed. I like and enjoy, without guilt, a wonderfully tasting meal. And the unconscious mind is not always wrong. It has a limited perspective, sometimes appropriate. But a lot of times what's stored on the hard drive of our mind, this unconscious mind, are faulty concepts. And where do we pick up these faulty concepts? Oh, some I got from my mom, some I got from my dad, some I got from grandma, some I got from grandpa, some I got from my siblings or my friends at school or teachers or celebrities or politicians or just the culture in general. So the ego senses and unconscious mind, they're sort of like a, a voting block 
very often. I call them the three amigos, often wrong, but never in doubt. Then you have the conscience. The conscience is the only function of the mind that can discriminate, determine, judge, and decide. Wow, that was a game changer for me when I, when I learned that and I practiced it. The conscience is the only decision maker for every action we have ever taken and will be the only decision maker for every action we ever do take. The ego senses and unconscious mind are only advisors. So if we cannot get buy-in from the ego senses and unconscious mind, they're so loud and so pushy, the conscience cannot do what it does best. And that is the conscience, which acts as a mirror, has the capacity, the sole capacity to reflect perfect wisdom from the super conscious portion of the mind. That's right. I said super conscious portion of the mind. That's not poetry. It's not a metaphor. It's the same portion of the mind where Paul McCartney hears beautiful melodies, where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations. And we can tap into that. And that is the creative part of us? That's right. And it's the truth that comes to us because the conscience can access the superconscious wisdom and can reflect it into our conscious mind so that we can consciously be aware of this intuitive wisdom that is at the core of our being, at the center of consciousness, to be used to determine the thoughts, the words, and the actions that we take. Why? So that we can be led for our highest and greatest good with purpose and with contentment. But our culture does not understand that. We have never never learned that in school. The only thing that we really have been taught in school is how to memorize and recite so that we can get a certificate, uh, a diploma, so that we can get a better paying job. But still, the ego senses and unconscious mind are a very disruptive force in the, in the mind. And when they're so loud and so pushy, all that the conscience can do is rubber stamp the loudest voice. And so the choice is made by the conscience. The conscience is the only function of the mind that can make the choice. But instead of being able to reflect perfect wisdom from the center of consciousness, from the superconscious portion of the mind, the conscience is simply relegated to rubber stamping the limited, often faulty concepts of the ego senses and unconscious mind, and we experience pain. So it's almost blocking out the superconscious. It is. And definitely, we, we can't have access to that. What we need to do is to become 
the parent of our own mind. We have to parent the ego, senses, and unconscious mind. We have to sit them down around the kitchen table and say, look, this is not working as well as it can. We need to listen quietly to the conscience and begin to support slowly, slowly this superconscious wisdom reflected by the conscience and make it our thoughts, words, and deeds just for the sake of an experiment to experience a different way of being. And that's what this book, Your Conscience, teaches people how to do. So what, what kind of problems can be solved by relying on our conscience? Everyone. Everyone? <laughs> Everyone. First of all, l- let me say, Chris, I don't believe that we have problems. Oh, okay. Because if I say that I have a problem, that's a heavy word. If I, if I, if I bring that word into my awareness... And I repeat, I have a problem. I have a problem. I have a problem. That word is so heavy that all of my creativity seems to be locked down. I seem to be paralyzed by a word. So I no longer use the word problem. I use a synonym. I say, it's a situation. Now, when I bring that word into, into my awareness and I listen to it, situation, 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 I have a situation. Well, that's much lighter. And it doesn't block my creative energies. In fact, it motivates me to be more creative in the moment to resolve this situation. But to answer your first question, the conscience can help us with every situation. But but what people have to understand is, when we're starting this new type of philosophy of life, we can't take on too much too soon. We're just not ready. The ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind are going to dig in and push back. Whereas, as their parent, we're looking for a pleasant experience to give them. We're looking for something that will be pleasurable to them so that they can expand their awareness that by listening to the conscience, it's not always going to mean a death to their identity and their power. So, let's say, just for the sake of argument, we just finished a very nice dinner. And the question before the mind is, are we going to brush our teeth? So now I'm the parent, so I'll be the moderator. And what I do is I invite the ego, the senses, the unconscious mind, and the conscience to all sit around together around the kitchen table with me, the parent, to discuss Are we going to brush our teeth? Are we not going to brush our teeth after this meal? So as the parent, I first call on the ego. What is your opinion? Should we do it or should we not do it? 
and the ego says something to the effect, that sounds terribly unpleasant. I'm against it. Okay, I say, thank you very much. Take a seat. Now I'll call on the senses. What do you say? Well, if I'm really honest with you, and I want to be honest with you, the senses says, they say, uh, it was a great meal, but it was an exquisite dessert. You know, we had apple pie tonight, and that's my favorite, so I don't want to brush the teeth. I want a second piece of apple pie. Okay, well, thank you very much for your limited perspective. Take your seat, and now call now on the unconscious. What is your perspective here? And the unconscious says something to the effect, well, I'm with the other two. I'm with the ego and the senses. You know, so a lot of times we form a voting block, and I'm, I'm against it. Okay, well, thank you very much. And now, if you'll all be quiet just for a moment, just for the sake of an experiment, I'm going to call on the conscience. And in that quietude, the conscience will have the ability to reflect perfect wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind, and the conscience will share it with us. So that'll be interesting for everybody. So conscience, would you please make a presentation? And the conscience is willing to do that. And the conscience says something to the effect that, well, we all know that this life that we're living is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And for a marathon, we need many things. We need healthy, strong teeth. We need healthy, strong gums. We need a healthy, strong immune system. And the superconscious wisdom is telling me and telling you that if we can just take a time out for two minutes, go to the bathroom, brush the teeth, we'll have stronger teeth, stronger gums, and a stronger immune system. So I invite each of you now to go into the bathroom. We'll all go together and brush the teeth and then come back to the kitchen table and discuss the experience that we had. So the ego senses unconscious mind and conscience, along with me, the parent, we all go into the bathroom, we brush the teeth, we come back to the kitchen table. And then as their parent, I call on each of them for a little summary. Ego, what was your opinion about brushing the teeth? Well, the ego says, it wasn't really quite as bad as I had feared. Usually, with a, with a new habit, I'm afraid that I might be annihilated. It might be a death. <clears throat> but I'm still here. So I'm, I'm tickled. So it wasn't so bad. I would say it wasn't so bad. Thank you. And now, senses? What was your experience? Oh, the senses say. You know, I was tickled when the tongue rolled over my teeth. I didn't feel that mossy feeling that I do when I don't brush my teeth. So I like that. It felt great. So I had a very pleasant experience that I rarely ever do. Thank you, senses. And now the unconscious mind, what do you say? Wasn't so bad. Wasn't so bad. Thank you. So what have we just done? 
We've just done an experiment. And the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind had a pleasant experience. So these children of mind, who really have been traumatized their whole life by limited perspectives, have now just had what? A pleasant experience. And I can build on that as their parent without threatening them. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned experiments. And they they trust me. And they trust me more today than they did yesterday. Because this was an experiment, you said, right? This was an experiment. So you say to try that with other things like attention even? Everything. And your breath and sleep. We need to make a decision about should have the ego senses and unconscious mind work through a an experiment with the conscience and it's up to me not to give the ego senses and unconscious mind too much too soon you don't want to provide them an experiment that engages all sorts of uh emotional triggers no brainers you know it's 10 o'clock at night Uh, A coffee commercial comes on TV, and the ego senses and unconscious mind are ready to go right into the kitchen, have a cup of coffee, a little sugar, a little half and half, and uh, uh, another piece of apple pie. But at 10 o'clock at night, the conscience is going to say, in its presentation, 10 o'clock at night is not an appropriate time to have all that caffeine. We all need a good night's sleep. We have a big meeting tomorrow at work. If you want to talk about whether we're going to have a cup of coffee or not, let's have that conversation at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. But let's experiment and sacrifice the desire right now and just see what happens. My experience is I have felt better physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So much so that I began teaching it. And now I've written this book, Your Conscience, so that everybody who can hear this message can begin to experiment for themselves so that they can know the truth for themselves as opposed as opposed to simply believing in hearsay of other people's right or just beliefs. just doing it because you say this is good <laughs> right yeah. really yeah. trying it and is right. i guess i'm confused so is the conscience is that the same thing as intuition or is intuition different our conscience reflects superconscious wisdom which is our intuition okay so it is part of that superconscious Yes, it's part of the superconscious mind. The superconscious mind is an intuitive library of wisdom concerning what's to be done and what's not to be done, what's to be said and what's not to be said, what's to be thought and what's not to be thought. So I know you mentioned yoga science, and I've not heard yoga science together as two words. (laughs) Usually you just hear them separate. So what is the practical applications for today's world? Well, I think it's uh, it's very uh, promising. It's very promising. It provides us a template for experimenting scientifically with every thought, every word, and every action. And 
Where's the laboratory for that experimentation? Oh, the laboratory is our own mind, body, sense complex. It's an internal experiment that I am constantly making every moment of every day. And I am the beneficiary of that because it helps me help the ego senses and unconscious mind change the software of my own mind, much of which is faulty. That's helpful, too, to think of it as software and changing it out. Right. We do it with the computer, but we not do. in our own mind. That's we carry all, all these viruses and faulty concepts in our mind. Why? We need an update. We need a new software package. Yes. <laughs> right. I think that, that would be helpful to talk to clients about that, too, that we work with. Yes. And whose software package am I using? Oh, an amalgamation of all these different people that I've met. So probably, how, didn't, probably didn't work for them either. Right. How does meditation fit into all this then? Well, as I mentioned up front, the meditation provides us the tools to focus the mind at only one object and to create a space between stimulus and response. And that space between stimulus and response provides me the freedom to check with the conscience and to parent the ego senses and unconscious mind to make that happen. That's what meditation does. It provides me those tools, and I can employ those tools in the midst of every relationship and every experiment that I do throughout the day. So, you know, people ask me, how long do you meditate? The truth is, in one form or another, I meditate all day long. It's either seated, silent meditation, or it's meditation in action. But both do one thing that's the same. When I'm meditating or meditating in action, I'm basing my outer actions on my inner wisdom. That's what I call the bridge of yoga or the bridge of Christianity or the bridge of Judaism, or the bridge of Buddhism, or the bridge of Islam. It doesn't matter what you call it. But we all need a philosophical and a scientific bridge that encourages us in every relationship, that requires an action, that brings about a consequence to base those actions, thoughts, words, and deeds, on our own inner superconscious wisdom. I would think that tapping into that super conscious wisdom as mental health therapist, that could really help you to be more effective with clients. Oh, my gosh. That would be insane, and, right? And, and it's, <laughs> first and foremost, it's about purifying our own instrument as therapists. But by purifying my own instrument, my own mind as a therapist, I can see things as they appear. I can see things as they are, not just as they appear. I'm not dealing with just appearances. I can see deeper. I can see the mind of that person that I am here to help. 
I become a much better therapist by purifying my own instrument, not just memorizing something and applying it. I become very creative, very intuitive. I, I become an intuitive healer, and I have confidence in it because I've been doing experiments with myself, <laughs> and I feel better. Right, and practicing. Right. So it seems like really once you integrate this too, this concept, that's really going to help you to be able to teach others and to be, I guess you said, you said purified, right? Yeah. Purifying your instrument. Yes. To be most effective. So what's a takeaway you could share today that could help listeners who might be just starting their holistic journey? Well, the only advice that I have uh, is not to believe anything I've said today. That's right. Don't I don't want you to believe anything I say. I want you to put on one of those doubting Thomas hats and be a doubter, be a good scientist, because all scientists are doubters, and they need to work through an experiment to find the truth for themselves. And so even though I'm asking you not to believe me, I am encouraging you to do the experiment in your own life, in the constellation of your own relationships. That is the only way that you will know the truth, and you will know that you know, and that's the freedom that will set you free. Perfect. Thank you for that. Thank you. And what's the best way for listeners to find you and learn more about you and your book? Well, we have two two websites. One is for the book. Uh, it's a new website, yourconscience.org. Yourconscience.org tells you lots of information about the book and and where to get it. Of course, you can get it anywhere, all the traditional places, either online or at uh, bookstores. And then, besides your conscience.org, the American Meditation Institute, where I teach and offering all of my courses, can be reached at AmericanMeditation.org. AmericanMeditation.org. And I'll put that in the show notes as well so you can access that. Yeah. And if people go on to uh, that website, AmericanMeditation.org, on the homepage, if you look about two-thirds of the way down the homepage for Sunday guided meditation, Sunday meditation, every Sunday from 9.30 to 11 Eastern Time, every Sunday, 9.30 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, I do a guided meditation and a conversation very similar to what you and I, Chris, have been doing today. Excellent. So right there is a link. It's free. And it's free. Every Sunday. Very good. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, Leonard. This has been very enlightening. Well, I, I really deeply appreciate the invitation. And I want to send out a big thank you to my listeners for tuning into today's episode. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And this is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Until next time. 
If you're loving this show, will you rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform? We just started this, and that helps other people find this show. Also, if you're feeling uncertain about your modalities and you want to build your confidence to be your unique self, I want you to join my free email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor, over at HolisticCounselingPodcast.com. In my Becoming a Holistic Counselor course, you'll get tips for adding integrative care into your practice, what training you need and don't, and the know-how to attract your ideal holistic clients. If this sounds like the direction you are headed, sign up at HolisticCounselingPodcast.com. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.